Hello, folks. Dr. Maurice Selby here, medical director, producer, and co-host of Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM and the Health in Harlem podcast. While we strive to bring you the most up-to-date, reliable, evidence-based information to help you live the healthiest life possible, this show does not substitute for an evaluation by a trained and licensed medical professional. It is highly recommended that any advice or recommendations on medications, treatments, nutrition, fitness, preventive services, etc. be implemented under the guidance and supervision of your primary medical provider or appropriate specialist. With that said, we hope that you enjoy and learn from our program, and please be sure to let us know how we can best serve you in future shows. Hello, ladies and gentlemen of the listening audience. My name is Maurice Selby, MD. My name is Reed. And you're listening to the one and only Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM New York, the voice of Harlem and the Health in Harlem podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, I will start this off by saying it is H.O.T. hot, like super hot. Yeah. Um, Just past the summer solstice, we are... At the well, I was gonna say in the midst of summer, but this is like at the very beginning of summer. Although it feels like <laughs> if you I if know. you're down here in Georgia, yo, know, it feels like it's been summer for the last like two to three weeks. I'm talking about like you know in excess of 90 degrees, 95 degrees every day. The city has been weird. It's been like nice some weeks, and then randomly it just spikes really hot for a few days, and then it'll mm. back down to like 75, 80ish. And then it'll spike back up. What what are you trying to make me jealous, Reed? Like, I mean <laughs> <laughs> I but, miss New like, York as it is. Come the on. The only man. thing that's sure about it is the rain. It's been raining like crazy. Oh, really? That's a bummer. And usually that's the case down here uh in Georgia, man. But right now we've been good. You know, I, I can't even complain in that regard. If anything, we might need a little bit more rain considering how hot it has been. And ladies and gentlemen, that's been really the case all across the country um mm-hmm. record heat wave yeah. here in the united states Texas is in a unprecedented drought that's crazy right now. man yeah exactly it's not even the middle of summer like you said that's what's just crazy. The that's why i'm like yo wait is this gonna get worse or better <laughs> because yeah no seriously I mean, think about are- how many think about how many acres and acres of of forest is gonna burn to wildfire this summer mm. tons and, and that's the you know that alludes to larger problems um, that we're facing, ladies and gentlemen. I would say in the country and even around the world, right? Rising temperatures all mm-hmm. throughout. Um, one thing I will say is that you know last week I spent the majority of it, so I was on vacation, um, more like a staycation. Stayed home with the family. Monty's um, in day camp, so we've kind of been rooted here. But one thing we did every day last week, we went to the pool. Dope time, had a great time swimming. And and what I love about it is that it's this community pool where like everybody in our subdivision goes there with their kids and stuff. Mm. So I met a bunch of people, uh, including a group of guys that I'm talking to um, at one point at the pool. And there's one gentleman that was actually a runner. So we ended up talking all of us about running and stuff. And 
this guy, you know, he's running like five or six miles a day, which I'm like, you're the man. I don't know how you do it in this heat. Um, but one thing I will say, he's probably acclimated to this, right? He's been living in Georgia for some time. He's been a runner for some time. So I'm like, you could do that. Me? Heck no. I was like, I'll do three <laughs> in this weather um, and still getting used to it, you know, but I got to slow it down. Stay on track to reach that St. Jude's goal. Yo. <laughs> uh, anyways, that's a whole other story, but we'll get back into that. So another gentleman comes up and he's like, nah, man, you know, sometimes, man, when you feel it, you know, you just got to push through. And then that's when I said, no, <laughs> I was like, that's the complete wrong thing um, to do in this situation. Um, and that's really what led to this program, ladies and gentlemen, um, talking about heat related illness. And I know we talk about this probably on an annual basis on health in Harlem, but that that statement from my neighbor um, prompted me to be like, look, we have to talk about this again just because of how dangerous it is, because he was. You know, and he said that I was like, that's exactly um, and not to his fault. You know, it's not anything bad um, about what was said, but it's just that that misconception is exactly what leads people to end up before me in an emergency room and possibly <laughs> admitted to the hospital for serious illness. So that's what we're going to talk about, ladies and gentlemen, heat related illness. Um, I will quickly just sort of at the outset here. um, get a quick update in regarding the COVID vaccines. We kind of touched upon this on our last program. Um, actually, the decision came down probably just after we recorded, Reed and I, uh, where the FDA unanimously voted last Wednesday, June 16th, to recommend that the Pfizer, BioNTech, uh, and Moderna vaccines be approved for use in very young children. We're talking children six months to five years of age, right? Previously, this was not the case um, for this population, this group of children. And that was then followed by the CDC having the same recommendation um, with Dr. Rochelle Walensky, the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, signing off to approve two COVID-19 vaccine shots for children over six months of age and under five. Uh, so huge development. And I know recently, and Reed, you probably see this, parents um, scrambling in New York because New York is already ready, doling out the shots. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these two doses of Moderna vaccine authorized for two doses spaced four weeks apart. Um, and pretty much the similar series uh, with Pfizer authorizing a three dose series. The first two shots spaced three weeks apart. And then the third shot given at least eight weeks later. Um, now, this is not a booster shot, just to make things clear. That third shot of the um, Pfizer vaccine, it is just essentially the third part of that series of vaccinations. Gotcha. And that's that right now. So the questions out there, I know they're going to be coming in, but I'll address some of the most common things right? that people... want to know about when it comes to getting their children vaccinated. Now, one thing, preliminary data released by Moderna in April um, showed a possible 51% effectiveness rate at preventing symptomatic COVID-19 infection amongst children six months through one year. Um, And two shots were 37% effective at preventing infection among kids age two through five years. Pfizer, um, with their three-dose series, 
had an efficacy of 80% at preventing COVID-19 infection in that age group, six months through four years of age. Um, but that was based on uh, infections in just, is a, a small group, basically, of just three children. So anyway, the vaccines seem to be effective, right, um, in mm-hmm. preventing illness, period, but also when it comes to preventing severe illness. Um, that is one thing uh, that we really need to look at with these vaccines in this age group. And another big question that comes up is what are the side effects, right? Data so far really shows that side effects in younger children are not as bad as older individuals, um, even children that are more like school age and um, teenagers, right? This younger age group, six months to five years, um, actually seem to have significantly lower rates of bad side effects. And when they do have the side effects, it is what we commonly expect with vaccines in children. So they can be a little bit fussy, a little bit irritable. Um, They might even have some pain at the site of the injection, sleepiness, um, really just things that I think you can probably see with just a moody (laughs) toddler, you know, or infant. And one thing too, that was interesting is that children in this age group did not develop myocarditis, which was um, one of the more concerning, right? adverse effects that we see um, in older children and younger adults when it comes to these mRNA vaccines. Uh, Also, another big question, should your child get the vaccine right away after they've recently had COVID-19? This is a question I was trying to answer with my daughter because we just got over it. And the answer actually is yes. As soon as they are out of isolation and feeling better, right, symptomatically better, they can have the vaccine And this is mainly because children can tolerate that. They are not at risk of suffering any worse adverse effects or complications or issues with having a robust immune response after um, having had the COVID-19 infection. And so, yeah, that's the thing. They can get the shot right after they get through this. Now, one thing, and this is what I've been thinking about with my own daughter, right, is that it's unlikely for them to have reinfection um, right after having had COVID-19 already. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that immune response, especially with my daughter, Imani, she had been uh, vaccinated previously, had two doses of the Pfizer vaccine. And so unlikely for her to get it again very soon. So I'll, me personally, right, um, and and Christine, right, as her parents, we are not in a rush. We're not rushing to get her there um, for that shot because she just got over it already had some underlying protection from the previous vaccine series. And so, yeah, we're not rushing to get her back to get another dose. And the same thing with Zora, who is in this age group, right? Um, She is just 19 months. And so we're not rushing to get her there either because she just got through it. Um, And we know children have much likelihood, much higher likelihood of having milder symptoms um, to begin with. The last thing that I will um, address is, can my child get the COVID-19 vaccine at the same day that they get other vaccinations? The answer is absolutely yes. They tolerate that very well. There is no issue um, with immunity being disrupted from the vaccine or from getting other vaccines, them sort of conflicting with one another. Um, It is safe and effective if they get multiple vaccinations uh, in one visit. 
And the last question I'll address, actually, because some people out there are saying, well, you know, if this age group, right, six months to up to five years of age, if they already have milder illness, right, meaning the vast majority of children in this age group, even if they come down with COVID-19, will have mild symptoms. That is a, at this point, ladies and gentlemen, it's just pure fact, right? That's not negotiable. That's what we see in the data. Yeah. And I will, if they're yeah. really young mm-hmm. and they're still breastfeeding, they're probably getting some antibodies through the breast milk. So they still probably have some protection against COVID then. Correct. Correct. So the big question, everybody's like, well, what's the point? Why would we get them vaccinated in the first place? Well, a couple reasons. One, because we are still trying to decrease the spread of this illness, right? Even though it's mm-hmm. pretty widespread, a bunch of people have had it um, to prevent more outbreaks, to prevent more shutdowns. And all the things that come with the increased spread of this virus, this is one of those things that we can do to minimize, again, to right reduce the spread of this illness because it's still in circulation. We still see cases going up at this moment because Omicron is very contagious. It's still out there, um, in part because of the vaccination program in the U.S. We've seen a huge drop off in a number of hospitalizations and especially in the number of deaths when we look at similar peaks of infection um, throughout this pandemic. And so with that said, the vaccines, they do work. They work at preventing the spread. They work at um, protecting even these very young children because they're, as we know, there are right at least 400 children from the start of the pandemic to now that have lost their lives um, to this illness that are in that age group, six months to five years of age, um, you know, more than 400 children that have succumbed to this, that have died from this illness. And this vaccine has been shown to prevent severe COVID-19. So even if they come down with a breakthrough infection, haven't been vaccinated, they still get it. Um, not only are they more likely to have probably even milder symptoms or no symptoms at all, but they're probably more likely not to have complications, which we know that multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, right, that miss uh, syndrome that is associated with COVID-19, we can prevent that, ladies and gentlemen. So it is definitely worth considering at the minimum. But I would say that if your child is is not protected from this, and especially if they have not had COVID-19, um, and really especially children that have some sort of immune deficiency or comorbid illness, lung disease, whatever it may be, they should they should be vaccinated. It's recommended for them. It will protect them and it will protect those around them. Absolutely. And you know, children are obviously their own individuals, but they can't isolate. They can't take care of themselves. And you know, a lot of the times it's a lot of people in the family taking Mm -hmm. care of the baby. You know, the the grandparents come around and they take care of the kid. Uh, The mother comes around and everybody's vaccinated. Everybody wants to protect themselves. And you know, being around that child, that's essentially a gap potentially in your immunity. You know, if you're going to be in contact with a child, probably are going to want to have that child vaccinated. That's true. I've seen everybody, people take all sorts of other precautions. So this is one yeah, of those everybody wants to hold add. a baby, kiss a baby, hug a so baby, them, you know, get them the shot. So you can do that with peace of mind, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's one thing that um, I've definitely been I feel like using in my decision making with all of this is to have peace of mind, to make sure they're safe and to make sure that we're safe um, as her parents, her grandparents, everybody in contact with my children. 
you know what? My children are protected and they're protecting those all around them. So we'll leave it at that. I know you talked your ear off in that regard, but mm-hmm. now we'll get to the to the hot topic at hand, <laughs> uh, which are these these heat emergencies, man. So this is happening um, every summer, ladies and gentlemen. We deal with this. Um, definitely see these complications in the emergency department. Um, and so summer's finally here. It's great. Um, at times, though, I will tell you, I yearn for the coolness <laughs> of like the fall and stuff. It's getting to that point where I thought about even like what winter would feel like at this point. And so um, I'm jealous of you guys up there in New York City where it's like 70, a nice, yeah, comfortable it's, 70 it's degrees. Nice. Dang, man. Uh, but yeah, it's hot down here. I mean, we've been uh, approaching 100 degrees like every day for the past week and a half, almost two weeks wow. um, in Georgia. And one thing that we need to acknowledge, ladies and gentlemen, is that approximately 1,300 people die each year from heat-related illness in the United States. Um, And this is a spectrum of disease that includes everything from heat exhaustion, heat cramps, even heat rashes, to the big deal, which is heat stroke, um, which is potentially deadly. And so it's one of those things that um, can creep up on us. That's why I was like, yeah, that wasn't, really can. yeah, it's it's one of those things that can definitely catch you by surprise, right? By surprise, in that um, you didn't think it could happen to you until mm-hmm. you wind up in, before somebody, you know, feeling pretty yucky, requiring IV fluids, um, <laughs> with your temperature a little bit elevated, and we're trying to figure. Yeah, out Yeah, I mean, even on a even to a lesser extent, I'm sure almost everybody has had the experience where they spent all day out in the sun and they felt nauseous and dehydrated at the end of the day. And then they slept for like 12 hours straight afterwards. You know, you just pass Mm -hmm. out the sun being in the sun all day just drains you. And yeah, it can, it can get you. It can sneak up on you very easily. Well, one thing I remember Reed, which you bringing that up and, and this is vivid for you. I mean, there's definitely great times, but I remember (laughs) running track in high school and in the summer, I would train with the cross-country teams, right? So we'd be out at, and this was in Staten Island, so we'd be out at Silver Lake Park um, and over by Clove Lakes Park running all around it. So two huge parks, ladies and gentlemen, just for those that are not from Staten Island, which is probably the vast majority of you out there. But shout out to all my Staten Island folks. But anyway, running around these parks um, and a lot of times, right, places without very much shade, um, unless we were in some of the trails in those parks, and there was one day in particular, I remember we ran a five mile loop and it was baking outside. And one thing I've noticed from moving down here in Georgia, there's a huge difference when you're surrounded by concrete versus more mm-hmm. vegetation. It's very green in Georgia, even in uh, many parts of Metro Atlanta. Uh, so one thing is all of that heat gets sort of absorbed, right? Whereas everything yeah. is reflected back to you. Um, off of the pavement and the concrete. And so I remember running, man, and it was like the heat is, in addition to coming from above, it was coming up through the ground, it felt like. And mm-hmm. we were running and stuff. It's super hot. And we kept pushing, right? Um, <laughs> at one point, we did stop. Me and one of my one of my best friends, uh, my man Kashif, was like, yo, we got to get a drink of water because this is crazy. Um, got a drink of water, continued with the run. And we finished it, man. We pushed through, right? Uh, the same thing that my, my neighbor recommended was like, yeah, man, just push through and you feel like that. And in retrospect, as as we made it through, thank God, I remember feeling yucky as Reed just described um, after it, you know, lightheaded, a little mm-hmm. nauseous at times. 
Um, and we laughed about it, joked it off, hydrated like crazy while we stretched and did the rest of our warmups and workouts and stuff. But in retrospect, man, we were like teetering the border of potentially putting ourselves in a lot of trouble. And I yeah. know of a case um, uh, where a child, uh, a kid did um, pass of heat related illness. And this was in a case that had occurred on Staten Island. Um, a football player actually lost his life in high school, um, secondary to exactly what we're going to discuss further. Um, so it is a big deal as much as, you know, uh, we want to enjoy the summer. We want to push through with our workouts and stuff. We do need to be cognizant of of these illnesses. In the U.S., approximately 1,300 people die every year. Mm. Those are hopefully largely preventable deaths if we take the right precautions, you know? And so this is definitely something that we hope to cut down on. And even if you are comfortable out in the heat and you know you're taking the right precautions, maybe you can recognize it in somebody else. Because it doesn't take much for someone else to recognize the signs of heat stroke. Yes. Now, one thing I like to really just start with when we talk about this is just how amazing the human body is in general. We talk about thermoregulation. Thermoregulation, ladies and gentlemen, we talk about basically regulating our body temperature. Um, Mm -hmm. So when it's very, very cold outside, there are things that your body does um, naturally, right? Many... um, voluntary and involuntary responses to that change in temperature. Um, So things like shivering, right? Basically Mm -hmm. your body telling itself, hey, we need to warm up. So you get cold, you start to shiver to try to mobilize or at least increase the generation of heat um, through your muscles shivering, right? That motion. Um, Your body also vasoconstricts, meaning the blood vessels in your body, the, the clamp down or they become smaller Mm -hmm. in order to try to trap the heat that is circulated in your blood volume. Yeah. Uh, Which is why your, your extremities, your toes and your fingers get cold, but your core is nice and warm. Facts, facts. Yes. Um, and then you also write behavioral changes. You will go and try to seek a warm environment, right? Your brain Mm -hmm. starting from your hypothalamus. You'll even hug yourself, you know, you'll hug yourself. Exactly. You'll make, find people for body warmth, all of that stuff. You (laughs) seek a warmer place. Um, Your body does all these amazing things to keep that set point body temperature somewhere around 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, 37 degrees Celsius. Right. And then the same thing happens when it's hot out. Um, So when it's on a very hot day, your body senses that. And so various things start to happen. Chief among them, we generate sweat. Um, Sweat And evaporative cooling is the primary method in which our body dissipates or gets rid of heat, right? So we start to sweat. That sweat gets onto the surface of the skin. It evaporates. That is a sort of exothermic reaction. We release that heat energy and it leads to a cooling of our body temperature. Mm -hmm. Our blood vessels, right? The total opposite of what happens in the cold weather our blood vessels will dilate or vasodilate in order to release heat from our circulated blood volume. You will also right, try to find a, <laughs> a cooler place. So you look for shade, you yeah. look for that air conditioned environment. Even um, a nice breeze feels amazing. Even a nice breeze. You see a, a tub of water or a pool of water. Um, as we saw last and I could not resist. Like I took my kids in. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna just be cool. I'm gonna sit over here and chill and read in the shade. And then I'm looking at everybody in the pool like, damn, man, that looks like fun. 
And we get in there and yeah, you might get that first shock of dang, this water is cold, but then you get in there and you're cooling off and it feels great. Right. So our, our bodies um, naturally tell us, hey, you need your, your body temperatures warming up. You need to cool off. Um, yeah. Right. Go hydrate yourself. One, because we also tend to lose a lot of fluid through that evaporative cooling. Right. That sweat that we're generating and releasing into the environment. We need to replace those fluids. So all of these changes that take place to essentially keep our bodies at this set point temperature that is what is happening each and every day, each and every second of every day. Um, and I think it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing absolutely, yeah. um, what our bodies can do, um, especially when we're engaging in sports like activities or being active in these extremes of uh, temperature. Right. But then one thing we have to understand is that there are limits to how much our bodies can compensate. And when those limits are surpassed, that's when we begin to um, get into that trouble range where we can we might be the sufferers of uh, heat related illness. Yeah. And there's there's definite signs too. you know, all those things that you were listing uh, about your body doing to try and cool down. It reaches a point where it's like, you know what, this isn't working. I, <laughs> I give up. I don't know what else to do. Um, so you're sweating a lot. Eventually you stop sweating. You know, your skin becomes kind of clammy. That's a huge sign that heat stroke is eminent. It can be um, everything, ladies and gentlemen, from cramping um, of your musculature, this weak sort of tired feeling that you might have, um, especially after you've lost a significant amount of fluid through your sweat. Um, you can also lose your electrolytes through that, which can also exacerbate mm-hmm. that cramping, exacerbate that tiny, that tired feeling, dizziness, lightheadedness um, from dehydration. Ultimately, you can then develop heat exhaustion, right? Where you just feel that down and tired you can't mobilize the energy to continue with your workout. So you just feel like, hey, I just want to lay around and do nothing mm-hmm. um, because it's so hot. Um, also, another common uh, sign of this is that you might have an increased heart rate. Um, so in addition to that sweating um, and really in trying to offload as much heat as possible, um, your heart rate can go up in response to this. Um, so you might feel an uh, increase in the heart rate. Some people even report having um, palpitations. Um, so basically that sensation that their heart is beating very quickly um, or really just realizing your your heartbeat in general. Um, these are very common symptoms of not just heat related illness, but even things like dehydration that can accompany um, these conditions. Um, and so just being mindful, right, when we see these signs we have these symptoms. Um, this is our body saying that, hey, we are approaching those limits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we can no longer compensate. And now we need to take some other actions um, in order to make sure that we don't wind up sick. Um, yeah, and definitely. Trouble. And so it's important to realize that this is a, a, a very real possibility because we can be realistic about it. We can take certain precautions to avoid it. If we know that today is a day, you know, it's going to be really, really hot today, high chance of overheating, you know, let's take some precautions. What kind of precautions can we take? Well, first of all, if you live in New York City, they have a notification. So you can sign up through Notify NYC and they'll let you know, hey, we got a hot day coming up. You might want to 
stay inside, avoid alcohol, um, do all the things that we're going to touch on in just a minute. So that would be step number one for sure. Step number two, you know, you, if you're going outside, you can stay hydrated. Uh, you can put on your your sunscreen, appropriate clothing, uh, avoid strenuous exercise, avoid alcohol, all those things. And I, I love the fact that you mentioned avoiding alcohol, Reed. Absolutely. Um, I, that's a lesson I've learned myself, actually. I think, I think we've all learned it. Probably yeah. well, many of us have learned it um, at one time or another. And ladies and gentlemen, that is because there are things that could make you more prone to suffering from heat-related illness. Um, and one of them, chief among them, right, especially um, in the times of the summer, people are out and about, engaging with friends, really just enjoying themselves. And part of that for some individuals might be indulging in uh, the use of an alcohol-based beverage. For other individuals, it might even be things like substance use, illicit and legal. Yeah. Um, even if you're not intended to drink, you know, you're just even if you're not intended to drink, you're hanging out at the beach. A guy comes by, he's selling nutties. You know, might as well. <laughs> what are nutties? Nutcrackers. Oh, nutcrackers. Yeah, I've never heard. I've never heard beach. anybody refer to them as. <laughs> uh, so, so very real scenario. Yes, Reed, absolutely correct. Um, that sounds like a very New York City thing that can happen <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I mean, it can happen anywhere. But yes, this stuff, right, is out and about um, in abundance. Individuals are using alcohol, definitely on a beach, enjoying a day out there. But one thing um, is that this can alter the way your body right, deals with heat or the way that your body reacts to heat and make you more prone to um, heat-related illness. Um, one, by altering right? Your ability to sense that and counteract uh, these hot environments, but also they can also lead to physiologic changes that make it harder for your body to regulate its body temperature. Um, so alcohol, things like marijuana even, but also other drugs such as cocaine, amphetamines, those can significantly even, increase even your tobacco. risk. Yeah. Even tobacco. Exactly. Yep. These things can increase your risk of suffering from heat-related illness. So we need to be cognizant of that. But also, there are specific medical conditions that can make one more prone to becoming ill uh, with extremes of temperature. Um, so individuals with comorbid illnesses, especially individuals with cardiovascular disease, so heart disease, um, individuals with obesity um, can suffer more so in heat-related illness um, because of these medical conditions. Uh, individuals on certain medications, so blood pressure medications, um, especially things like beta blockers, which many people are on for not only blood pressure, but because they might have things like heart disease um, and other reasons where they might be taking these medications, they can alter um, just as right some of the recreational and illicit drugs that we talked about um, medications or prescribed medications can also alter the way that our body um, deals with heat or even the cold, right? And make us more prone to these um, environmental extremes of temperature and make us ill. So these are things that we definitely need to be aware of as we move and shake in this uh, hot weather that we're dealing with. Women that are pregnant, right? Increased risk of having bad outcomes um, from heat-related illness, all of these conditions that we need to be mindful of as we are out and about this summer. 
Yeah. So I got I got some specifics for you, NYC and Mo, because you know, even though you are in Georgia, you are a New Yorker at heart. Thank I know you we very give much, you a hard man. time. Thank you, thank but, you, thank you. You know, I can't always. I can't say you aren't. You always will be. Always and forever. But Extreme heat is usually defined as temperatures that hover 10 degrees or more than the average high temperature for the region. So in New York City, that happens a lot because, like Mo mentioned earlier, the urban heat island effect. So the city's infrastructure, you know, all that asphalt, concrete, metal, that traps the heat in and reflects it around and, you know, it gets stuck there. So it very easily can be 10 degrees or more above the surrounding area. So yeah, it, it gets crazy hot in New York City. So here's a couple things that we can do. We can run our ACs. Obviously, not everybody has uh, access to an AC or the the means to be able to pay during those peak hours for electricity. Um, so if you don't have an AC or you choose not to run your AC for financial region, reasons during those times, you may qualify for energy assistance. You can visit the Human Resource Administration online for information about the Home Energy Assistance Program, or HEAP. And that is on nyc.gov's website. Just Google nyc.gov HEAP, H-E-A-P, which is the Home Energy Assistance Program. And you can it's, it's on the New York City's website under Get Help. Um, so they can help you afford that. If you aren't able to stay inside and you know run your AC in your own apartment, there are also cooling centers available. I checked earlier today. There's a website that shows you a map of all the available cooling centers. Typically, there are things like schools, post offices, libraries, you know, those kinds of public utilities. So there's a map on the on New York City's website. Currently, it's not up. I think they only activate it when it gets really hot. So it's not quite there yet. But on those days, you can go. I'm pretty sure they even give out water. Uh, they have places to sit, all sorts of things. Um, also, if you want to be outside, New York City Parks website, there's a page called Cool It NYC, which lists all of the water features in New York City Parks, and it also lists tree cover. So you can find just the perfect spot, a little play- playground for your kids with sprinklers, nice tree for you to sit under, you know, the perfect spot for you to spend uh, the hot days in. That's pretty dope, um, actually. Yeah, on top they have of which, you know, thing. what? Yeah, that's crazy. What a great resource. Also, you know, you see people out on the street with cracked fire hydrants. One thing I learned is that if you have a some form of identification, which is like a, a driver's license or something, you can go to your local fire department and they'll give you a spray cap for a fire hydrant. Because mm-hmm. if you just crack it normally, that a lot of water comes out, so that mm-hmm. reduces the water pressure locally. Uh, So the fire department doesn't really love that, but they'll give you a spray cap, which will fit onto the fire hydrant and it'll reduce the amount of water coming out. So it won't reduce the local pressure. You'll get sprayed water all over the place. Isn't that crazy? I never knew that. I I didn't know that either. And you're giving me, you make me reminisce. I'm about to shed a tear, Reed, because I was just talking with somebody the other day um, who knows I'm, uh, it was actually another New Yorker and we were just talking about um, the days of opening fire hydrants and playing in them as kids and stuff. I was like, damn, man, like I miss, I miss home. Um, definitely enjoying Georgia, but I miss home. Um, but that is awesome. 
and definitely also on part top of, the of that plan. and you'll probably like this even more you know you heard of new york city's open streets during covid and oh, during the summers they blocked off yes. certain streets so that yeah. you know people could play in them or whatever this summer they're doing new york city cool streets where they're picking open streets with a lot of tree cover and they're cracking the fire hydrants on those streets for people to play in. Oh, that's dope. So so th- there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, to combat this heat um, and really just not end up in somebody's emergency department. Th- this is all available to you in New York City. Um, now, I will say that, right, this is a problem, as we said, all over the country where we're experiencing mm-hmm. high heat. And so there are other things you can do and very simple things such as wear lightweight, light colored, colored, loose fitting clothing. Um, and the fortunate thing now is that we are at a different stage um, in humanity and technology, um, especially yeah. regarding the fabrics that are out there. A lot of them that have these um, the, these functionalities in wicking moisture away from the body um, and therefore really taking advantage of what we talked about earlier as far as evaporative cooling. Um, right where the moisture from your body, whereas before, especially with a lot of cotton based fabrics, um, we would hold on to that moisture. Right. It would go nowhere. So you'd be running like I was in high school. I'm aging yeah, myself now. Walking around wearing <laughs> we didn't a backpack. Yeah. Oof. I was wearing sweatpants <laughs> or like shorts and all of this cotton and a T-shirt. And I was just holding on to all of my sweat, basically like soaked in sweat. Will, all over the place yeah the exactly room. that's exactly what i was doing yep, <laughs> disgusting and after a while it starts to smell stale and stuff anyway um now right we have these moisture wicking technologies where that that sweat is taken away from the surface of your body um onto the surface of the clothing and then it evaporates and it leads to you being um cooler other things you can do obviously as reed said stay in an air conditioned place um and if you do not have air conditioning um, and especially if you're not in a place like New York City where they have cooling centers or cool streets, um, it might come down to going to a shopping mall or public library or a friend or a relative's home, even if it's just for a few hours in that air conditioning, especially during um, the peaks of heat, uh, right, which are going to be in those afternoon uh, times, 12 to 5 or 6 p.m., where the heat might be greatest. You might have to take advantage of some of these more public spaces where you can be um, air conditioned. One thing that you never want to do, ladies and gentlemen, and this kind of goes back to what we were saying in some individuals being more prone to having complications from heat related illnesses, never leave children, adults or older or incompetent adults or pets in a parked car, um, especially with the engine off and no AC running, even if it's just for a brief period Um, individuals can have complications from this. Also, we want to um, really, as much as we can, try to avoid using heat generating appliances. So your stove, you might want to minimize the use of that, maybe make some sandwiches for lunch instead of heating (laughs) up that um, old pizza like we did yesterday. You want to avoid hot and heavy meals, which will only add heat to your body um, as you eat that hot meal and also try to digest that heavy intake of food. And I think one last thing I will say, and this is something I've been trying to do uh, somewhat successfully, but try to limit your outdoor activity to the morning and evening hours. Um, So me, you know, I like to go out running. Sometimes it's hard to time that with all of the family stuff and work stuff. So 
one thing I always wanted to do is wake up early. It's like almost impossible. I don't want to say impossible, but you know, I can never beat my girls in waking up to get out early enough <laughs> to do it for some reason. Um, it's like they know my plans in advance. Uh, so I got to go out in the evening hours sometimes. And there's times where I've had to run 8, 8.30 um, at night when it's starting to get cooler. Um, so as not to put myself at risk from having, you know, complications yeah. from this. And one thing is Although maybe living in a city back. like New York, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't really get much cooler around 8 or 9 p.m. It kind of just lingers there. It lingers. The same thing happens down here. But another tactic um, would be to reduce the amount of activity that you're doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, my days where I usually run five miles or maybe even six or seven. Right. I've been reducing those um, the, that that activity to three miles. And this is what goes back to the whole start of this program. Right. Was that um, in talking with one of my neighbors where he's like, yo, just push through. It was like, no, man, that is the thing you do not want to do. And I know, you know, with um, some of the workout routines that we have out there, even just in some of our listeners out there, I know you're some of those go getter people. Right. You have your goal set before you and you want to achieve that goal. Sometimes we will push ourselves um, almost beyond our limits. Right. Um, In order to achieve those goals. But this is one of those areas where you might want to dial it back a bit and really listen to your body, Um, because the minute you start feeling lightheaded, dizzy, you know, having increased fatigue or feeling like you're overheating, that's the time we got to say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to push it any further. I'm going to take a break um, and make sure that I'm safe. And and it's funny how passionate I got um, when he said that. Like I said, I didn't take it personal, but I was just like, "No, you cannot." Do that, cause that is a that's the common misconception, right? Yeah. Um, and, and and it's something that I think is admirable, and that you got individuals that are like, "Nah, you know, I'm going to push through and and achieve my goal." Not that we don't want you to accomplish your your fitness goals here um, on Health in Harlem. If anything, we're the, probably among the biggest advocates for that. However, we want you to do so safely. Um, And when it comes to these extremes of heat, you know, we're talking in excess of 90 degrees, especially when we when we look at a day that has increased humidity. Right. Where the the heat index is probably a little bit higher. um, We need to take a break. We need to either dial it back, take that day off or find another mode of activity. So I've been doing more indoor stuff, right, indoor cycling or treadmill. Um, if you have access to something like that or just, you know, good old calisthenics at home, <laughs> you can get your heart rate up uh, with that. So modifying our activities so that we can be safe, that is going to be key throughout the rest of the summer. Definitely. Yeah. I guess let's move on a little bit to vector-borne illnesses because we want to be ready for the summer. You know, we, we've we been cooped up, especially me lately, these, these past two weeks. I know, man. I uh, feel and we're ready pretty. to get out. You know, we're ready to enjoy life to the fullest. So now I'm ready for the hot days. I'm planning ahead. I'm looking at the weather. I know if it's a really hot day, I'm probably going to go maybe out in the morning, out in the evening, but I'm going to spend that chunk of the middle of the day inside in the AC, nice and cool. But I like to spend a lot of time in parks. That is, that's how I relax is I usually just find myself lost in the woods somewhere. Inwood Hill Park, great. The Ramble even, awesome. And now that I have a bike too, you can just bike right there. It's great. Anyway, one thing that I always do when I come back is I check myself for ticks because vector-borne illnesses are no joke. And that's what we're going to talk about now. We want to be prepped for the summer. 
We want to live our healthiest lives. So we're going to avoid the extreme heat. And we're going to also try and avoid uh, some of those vector-borne illnesses, mostly spreading from ticks. However, there are some instances of uh, vector-borne illnesses coming from mosquitoes. Usually in New York City, mosquitoes are just kind of nasty little pests that bite you wherever you go, anywhere you go, because it is a swamp here. Especially but down here in are, Georgia. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> swamp land. Definitely down there in Georgia. Yeah, for sure. This stuff is also something that we have to contend with during these warmer months, ladies and gentlemen. And by vector born, we are talking about an illness that is carried by something, right? In this case, we are mm-hmm. talking about um, insects and primarily, as Reed said, these blood sucking insects, as if it wasn't bad enough that they're like leeching off of us, almost literally <laughs> leeching <laughs> off of us, um, sucking our blood, you know, leading us to feel all itchy and uncomfortable. Um, they can also carry disease. Um, and so when we talk about these illnesses, they account for more than 17% of all infectious diseases. So, right, when we lump all of the COVID in the world and flu and all of this stuff, pneumonias, bacterial infections, um, guess what? 17% of all infectious diseases are vector born. They mm-hmm. contribute to more than 700,000 deaths annually and the majority of these diseases are zoonotic, meaning they are spread by animals and humans. So just like coronavirus, right, being spread by many different mammals, um, we also see these infections being spread by uh, things like mosquitoes and ticks. And we have been learning that these infections are becoming more common um, and it really coincides with the problem that we're seeing emerging with the ballooning of tick populations sort of each and every year in the United States as we start dealing with more, right, climate issues with longer um, or really higher temperatures um, on the whole, but also we're dealing with these temperatures longer um, throughout the each yes. year, throughout each year. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you need uh, pretty cool temperatures in the winter, right, to kill off some of the tick populations. That's correct. Yes. So um, as it becomes cooler, we start to see these populations, I don't want to say dying off, but they become mm-hmm. right more dormant, Reduced. right? They're not as, yeah, yeah it's not as um, uh, out there. Usually once we see it around about uh, 50 to 60 degrees is when we see these, um, these populations start to balloon um, where these illnesses become more prominent. Um, again, and let me tell you, when I mm-hmm. when I first moved to New York City, maybe like seven eight years ago, I was like, you know what, I don't need to worry about ticks. Ticks are an upstate thing. You go out in the woods, and you know the plains, and you get ticks on you. You don't go out to you know Riverside Park and get a tick. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. But I've learned ticks are everywhere in New York City parks. Actually, they are one of the most populous spots for for uh, vector borne illnesses is New York City parks, surprisingly. And that's the thing that that surprised me to read in that it's in the city, right? The, the, these yeah. illnesses, they might not be as um, abundant as they are in places outside of the city um, and the suburbs, but they're still present, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and especially when we have places that are um, thick with vegetation, especially when we have smaller mammals running around because um, a lot of the animals that these mm-hmm. ticks like to 
feast on and where they thrive are in places where they have a lot of small mammals. So the white-footed mouse, for instance, uh, being among the chief carriers of rats. ticks. Yeah, rats. <laughs> um, squirrels. Uh, squirrels, all dogs. these little mammals. Um, Lots of dogs, too. Dogs bring them in. We see them in a lot of wooded areas. And what has been happening recently, this is really all around the country where um, we have a lot of development, right? We have this huge need for housing. Um, and so more housing stock being developed throughout the United States, maybe not as fast as we all want it, but it is happening pretty much throughout the country. Um, and so we have a lot of destruction of, um, or really just replacement of these wooded areas with housing um, that displaces small rodents like the white-footed mouse, for instance, as an, or as an example, um, but they bring with them ticks, right? So ticks where they probably would not have been before, um, rather than being in these thick wooded areas, which we got a ton of those down here in, in Georgia. It's so funny. I, we drive around everywhere and we see these huge plots of land for sale, a bunch of trees everywhere. There's trees everywhere in Georgia. Um, but one thing, right, is that there are a lot of small mammals um, running around that can be tick carrying uh, mammals. And with them, right, with the ticks come all of these tick-borne illnesses. So everything from Lyme disease, which I think a lot of us are familiar with, um, mm -hmm. but also there are other tick-borne illnesses, anaplasmosis, babesiosis, Borrelia, uh, myomoti disease, Colorado tick fever, um, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, which can be particularly deadly yeah. um, and, and dangerous. Um, and even viral pathogens. So Powassan virus, another viral entity that can be tick-borne. A host of diseases that we are um, learning about, ladies and gentlemen, that are carried by ticks. Um, so we're talking about something that is particularly risky um, out there. And that is why Reed does his ch tick check after his days in the park. Always, man. You know why? Because... So I, you know, growing up, my mom was always like, you got to check for ticks. She was, I don't want to say over the top anxious about Lyme disease, but maybe a little bit over the top anxious about Lyme disease because, and, and I always give myself a tick check because I know now that most cases of Lyme disease, the tick needs to be on you biting into your skin for about 24 hours or more. Mm -hmm. So I know if I go out to the park and then I come home and I check myself very thoroughly and I find a tick, if it's on there, then, you know, my chance of Lyme disease is pretty much not. So that makes me feel comfortable. I know I got, I just got to find those ticks. I got to give myself a thorough check and I'll be good. Hopefully. And, and the, the fortunate thing, Reed, I'm going to even make your day better because you know what you, they can even be on your uh, body even longer before they actually transmit um, these infections, even better, uh, sometimes yeah. up to three days, right? Where we, we have an opportunity to get these ticks off and significantly uh, reduce our risk of contracting any of these diseases. Um, but especially Lyme disease, Lyme disease being one of the, really the most common um, and also one that is, I think, probably the most well-known amongst the general population here in the United States. But it's something that um, not only can be dangerous, um, because it can lead to things like meningitis or a severe brain infection. It could lead to problems with individuals' hearts. Um, but then we are also learning about long-term illness. So similar to long COVID, there are individuals um, that suffer from chronic symptoms related to Lyme disease um, that can be debilitating and very, very difficult to treat. 
And so we are talking about something that when we talk about everything from death, right? Obviously, you can die from meningitis, you can die from heart-related complications uh, from Lyme disease, but individuals having lifelong arthritis um, or lifelong right heart problems uh, related to Lyme disease infection, all of these things that can be prevented by, as we said, doing that tick check. Um, and if you find a tick, you can remove it. What we highly uh, recommend is removing it from the head, making sure that you grab the mouth parts and very gently removing that tick, trying to keep the tick in whole or in it, its whole body um, intact um, without breaking it apart because that can lead to uh, dissemination of those these pathogens, um, the bacteria or viral, viral particles, um, right? If that tick is not taken out properly, it could lead to illness or spread the illness within your system. So uh, just one of those things that we can do a, another step in adding that extra layer of protection when it comes to tick-borne illness. Last thing we'll touch upon is just the spread of things such as Eastern equine encephalitis um, or Eastern equine virus, um, which is typically spread by mosquitoes, ladies and gentlemen. It's been around since 1971. There were cases reported in 1971, 1983, 2009, 2010, and 2011, um, mainly in Oswego and Onondaga counties. Unfortunately, all five cases led to the death of the individuals that contracted the illness. So something that is not very, very common. Um, yeah, but only five cases in the state since yeah. 1971. But still, it's one of those things out there, right? I'm not yeah. trying to get no Eastern equine encephalitis. No. Um, so just taking precautions, right? Wearing your insect repellent in order to try to avoid mosquito bites. I mean, if, as far as your home, and I'm learning this, uh, being a new homeowner, dealing with flooding in your yard, right? We're talking about um, still bodies of water or still collections of water that can be havens for mosquito populations. We want to dry that stuff up and get rid of those puddles and pools as much as possible. Um, also, West Nile virus, and I remember this um, sort of growing up in New York where we had this whole campaign of spraying and trying to um, minimize mosquito populations because of the spread of West Nile virus. Um, it's found in New York State in 1999. And since 2000, there have been 490 human cases reported, 37 deaths related to West Nile virus. Um, and this, we make the same recommendations as far as um, trying to control these mosquito populations, um, but also wearing repellent. Um, if you're out and about with friends uh, in the evening wearing um, loose, but long sleeves, um, mm. that can also, you know, cover exposed areas of skin that can protect you, um, as well. And really, um, just trying to do our best to, you know, control those populations, as we said, by, um, sanitary measures. So getting rid of still lying water, um, don't be like Maurice Selby and let water pots, you know, fill up with, <laughs> <laughs> no, cause I definitely saw a lot of, um, activity, you can sometimes see them on the surface, like the little larvae yeah. um, starting to develop. And so get rid of that water. Don't let it sit around um, or mosquitoes will take over. So they will. Either. Yeah. Yeah, they man. I don't know. Are, just, are you going to no let predators, the predators still water? We'll just call out everybody out there. Don't let the mosquitoes <laughs> win, man. Don't just, you know, don't just fall down and be a pushover. Whatever it takes. Hey, I don't we're know, not to get letting the motivation. Mosquitoes win. <laughs> Scientists are actually testing uh, a lot of like, 
genetically engineered populations of mosquitoes who can't transmit malaria or something and then releasing them into the wild to hopefully outbreed the other populations. It's really interesting stuff. That is wild. Um, but yeah, just, we could do with fewer mosquitoes in the world. You know, as much as I'm a, a nature person and, and enjoy wildlife and all that, yeah, I, I agree. Flies and mosquitoes. I'm pretty sure if they less. entirely disappeared, yeah. the ecosystem would not be put out of balance <laughs> at all. I'm not. I'm. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not the one with the expertise to challenge you on that uh, assertion. I'm pretty sure somebody would, but I mean, a lot of people probably wouldn't be upset though. For real. For real. Anyway, we are not advocating the eradication of mosquitoes on health and harm, ladies and gentlemen. But we just envision a world without them, and it seems like it would be a nice. <laughs> but anyway, we'll move on. Ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for listening to Health in Harlem. And we thank you in advance for just spreading a word about what you've learned on the program, um, especially when it comes to right not letting people die from heat related illness. It is totally preventable. And with the right knowledge and the right action, nobody has to die of a heat related illness this year. Nobody has to, um, you know, but that only becomes with the wisdom that we're trying to get out there and us acting on it. And so we thank you in advance for that. We also want to send a shout out to the rest of the health in Harlem team. Uh, so shout out to Giorgio, Anastasia, Michael Holmes. Um, we also want to shout out Angela Hardin, the general manager of WHCR and also Tina Dixon, um, the production manager, as we could not have a wonderful program and a wonderful station without their efforts each and every day. And ladies and gentlemen, as always, each and every week, this show is dedicated to the memory of Miss Gloria Thomas. Harlem, take care of yourself.